For sure. 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 Welcome to another episode of For Sure, a 200-foot podcast. I'm Peter. And I'm Jay. Happy New Year, Pete. Happy New Year. It's uh, We're recording this on January 5th. Uh, if you listen to it when it comes out, you'll be listening to it on the 7th, and we will be one week into the new year. Are you um, talking about metaphorically or just factually? Because given the way given the way time has been relative with everything that's happening in the world, I was thinking that, yes, a week will pass over the next 48 hours. Oh, yes. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely been days in 2018 that felt like a year. So, yeah. um, so okay, so, Jay, so let, let, let's catch up and see what we have to talk about. So, so what's the first thing we got going on? Well, um, Pete, I, uh, I, I, first of all, I want to say I'm sorry that you were um, – otherwise occupied and you couldn't experience the worldwide wonder that is the NHL winter classic. So I figure we could lead off by talking about that because um, you had like a meeting in Helsinki, like at the, like at the world seed vault, you, you, you had much better fish to fry is, is, is what I felt like was going on. So well, yeah, I, I had, I had fish to fry and I needed seeds for them. Um, so <laughs> as, as we all know, fish desperately need seeds. Exactly. Um, yeah. So uh, I figured it'd be fun to, um, based on memory alone, and I realize that everyone listening uh, probably just assumes that I have my computer up in front of me with things that happen, but I, I'm actually just going to try and recall most of what happened uh, just from memory for you, because um, based on all the times that we've talked about the Land Classic in the past, there are aspects of it that have certainly lost their attraction their luster so uh it may maybe this is the best way moving forward unless a team that you deeply deeply care about such as the blackhawks finally make a winter classic game it would be about um, time <laughs> it would be about time so um so because you were uh in 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 the snowy uh confines of the world seed vault where i'm sure internet connectivity was very minimal <laughs> um, I just figured I'd give you some rundowns of what happened. Um, so the winter classic happened, um, at its regularly scheduled time. So I know that you were concerned about that. I don't know how many times I've done this podcast with you and you've bemoaned the start times of a winter <laughs> classics past. So, so that's good. Um, uh, there was very, very little snow to be seen uh, to the point where uh, I will say there was one of the pluses of this year's uh, uh, entry into the Winter Classic uh, uh, fandom, fandorium, historium. Uh, Mike Tarico was uh, kind of a MC of sorts. So while Doc and Edzo were calling the game per se, um, all the intermissions and, and like big news hits all done by Mike Tirico, who's just, it, it was really cool. It was a really nice breath of fresh air. The complete and utter lack of Liam McHugh was, I don't know, it just, the air smelled crisper. The colors were brighter. Sounds were crisper. So. Yeah, um, I've always really liked Mike Tirico. 
Yeah, yeah. This is this is definitely something I'd like to see him do more of, um, especially stemming from his recent uh, Olympics work. I th- I just he's he's very solid, and 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 the more Tariko we can get in hockey, I think the better. If we're like if you're going to torture us with the way NBC covers and and tracks this sport, the least you could do is have a likable voice behind it because I think the reason Tariko was doing it this year was because Lee McHugh has moved on to bigger and better things Pete because uh, this is a quick sidebar uh, he is the Titan Games caller with Dwayne The Rock Johnson so good luck to Liam huh. uh, basically competing in super adult guts wow um, so yeah it's 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 a lot of uh, a lot of neat stuff happening there so yes Mike Tariko was um, the, the MC uh, he uh, I, I will say that the coat he was wearing was was very sharp. I know that's something you care about in in, in the people that that broadcast the game. So his coat was very nice. Um, so they uh, uh, the the game is uh, obviously master the the ceremonies uh, that uh, precede every Winter Classic game. They usually like to bring out a lot of uh, um, heroes and icons of each uh, team that's competing. So the Boston Bruins brought out some some very cool people. They they brought out. Uh, uh, people like Ray Bork, which was really cool. And uh, it was amusing because there was this moment where they're introducing everybody. And I just, I wish I could start writing the scripts for the PA guy because he's like, he like runs through these like awesome accomplishments. But then you remember that, ooh, he never won a cup with Boston. Oh, that's so like how fun it would have been. to be like, yeah, Ray Bork. And he never won a cup with your Bruins, Ray Bork. Just like this little extra dig that just happens out of nowhere. So the Bruins brought out uh, some really cool people from their past. And then the Blackhawks brought out a white beater. So uh, then the game started. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it it was, I I will say, because of the lack of snow, um, very clear views of the game, um, not really too much in the way of of visibility problems. Um, I, I will say that on TV, and we spoke about their jerseys leading up to this on TV. Both of the wings, uh, both of the uh, Hawks and Bruins jerseys looked pretty darn cool. Um, I will say that the triple stripe at the waist area of the Blackhawks um, jerseys did this really cool effect. But because you're because you're so far away, it kind of blended the lines together to make it look kind of a more of a textured stripe instead of just straight stripes. Mm. So that was a fun visual thing that happened. Um, Weezer was there here and there. Um, it was kind of weird because the night before I had rushed home from uh, Chicago to go to a New Year's Eve party for my brother. And the second I got home after that party, I, I drank way more, <laughs> way more just to, just to celebrate the new year. And um, so waking up and, and watching the Winter Classic uh, was a bit of a haze for me. But just there, to have this fever, hazy memory of just watching Weezer on my TV constantly saying hasta luego to some musical beat Hmm. you could you could tell me that's a real song you could tell me it was something my brain made up in the haze of a hangover i would have believed you either way so um the bruins did uh did the thing they scored more goals than the blackhawks which means that according to league rules as clearly stipulated uh they won the winter classic um i will say that as somebody who is not a fan of either of those teams, it was very nice to see that the majority of fans in attendance, AKA the Blackhawks fans now in their 
uh, ninth year of existence uh, are were very sad. Mm. So uh, overall, Pete, it was um, probably a good thing to to miss. Obviously, you missed it for other reasons. I know you really wanted to watch it, but um, under the circumstances, it was probably good that that you didn't have to um, concern yourself with it because, like I said, you were getting the fish seeds. So. Um, Oh, there was this also part where they introduced a bunch of uh, uh, other marquee events for the league, and some of them don't even have opponents yet. And mm. uh, Gary Bettman lost his razor apparently, so he was Ooh. kind of pulling a uh, a little bit of a, a seven o'clock shadow. Mm. Does that is that is that what that counts? <laughs> well, um, I mean, w- when you're on the search for all of the lockout infinity stones, you don't have time to shave. <laughs> and by the way, for our listeners, I I actually did make this finally. I know we I I had I had made this joke probably about what five episodes back i think maybe more than that and we've kind of come back to it as like a little running running gag and i i finally made a um uh it's it's my favorite type of photoshop like i really like the photoshops where you can tell it's a photoshop um and i actually do have the the ability to make it look a little bit more or you know a little bit more seamless um but for me, I just think it's funnier when it's an obvious Photoshop. Maybe, maybe it's just me. But anyway, um, we have that on there. Um, I put it on Twitter. I can I can re re up it again because uh, that that was a lot of fun. It was uh, it was a fun dumb thing. And uh, actually, I think the day before I made the um, the uh, I, I remade the Fight Club poster with uh, Peter Chiarelli instead of Brad Pitt and an insert of <laughs> Connor McDavid in the playing the part of Jared Leto. Um, and the quote was, I just wanted to destroy something beautiful. Uh, and I have to give it, I have to give a, a stick tap to JJ because we were talking about that and he said that line and it made me think of the poster. And then I, I, I thought of doing it and I did it. So anyway, yeah. So kind of like what Jay alluded to before, um, the winter classic, I, I didn't watch it. I, I don't really care anymore. Uh, I know from talking to people who've been to outdoor games, it, it seems like it's a lot of fun when you're there. And it's kind of interesting because it's, from what I understand, the atmosphere is very fun, but then nobody's able to see the, the play very well. Um, and so you have kind of the opposite at home where you are able to see the play, but I don't really care. Um, and like Jay said before, I think the exception would be if, a team I cared about was playing. Um, like, I think I do think it would be different if, if Detroit was playing um, or if it was maybe two teams that I, I really thought would be a fun game to play against each other. And, you know, for me, Boston Chicago just isn't, isn't that type of a game. Your mileage may vary. Um, so, yeah. So like Jay said, we have uh winter classic is over for another year. Next year it's going to be in Dallas against, uh, this is a tough opponent. It's uh, it's, it's TBD. Now, I, I think this is one of Elliot Friedman's crazy Twitter abbreviations. Um, so I don't know. Is it like a, a combination of Tampa Bay and like Detroit? Or are we going to have like a, a Jeff Blaschel, John Cooper, like team up where they're going to like do a split squad? Or I guess it would be the opposite of a split squad. They take half Detroit and half Tampa and play against Dallas in the winter well, class. like after watch that. Been, yeah 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 cuz Dallas has been doing so well recently yeah. with absolutely no no frustration sure. or anger from the front office yeah. that they're just this super team that the only way you can beat them is if you take literally the best team in the league and considerably the worst team in the yeah. league and make them play together against the stars so you sure. you I think you're on to something here Pete. So, I think, I think you are. <laughs> um 
So speaking of being onto something, the NHL is onto something with the way that they are doing their rosters for the all-star game. And I mean that completely sarcastically because, <laughs> because I, okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about the all-star game, which is, which is interesting to kind of do this back to back with the winter classic. Cause these are both things that I used to care a lot about and I don't really care about anymore. Um, so this, this is kind of a journeyman episode. Like, <laughs> It's like it's like your own personal uh, descent into Mount Doom. Yeah, you're, you're like every everything I didn't know I needed to do, but now here I'm doing it. Well, well yeah, because I mean, okay, so so first of all, you know, we'll talk about the roster. So the way it's set up is that it is it is three on three, which which is fun. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I do like that aspect of it. I do like the three on three. Um, it's so it's three on three. They have one team from each division and. They play like um, I for, I forget it's been a while I forget if they do like random picks in the beginning or if it's just like the Eastern divisions play each other but it's one you know one team plays the other team and it's it's short periods and then uh, the other two teams play and the winners play for the title um, now to be honest like, like that setup is fine with me I'm 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 okay with that setup but the problem for me is the way that it's set up. And with the stipulation that every single team in the league has to have a representative, which for marketing reasons, et cetera, like I do under, like I, I get why they do it. I just think it takes away from the game um, because the problem is if you, if you want to make it a true all-star game, then the way that it's set up now is not the way to go about it. Um, so for example, uh, you know, by now you've, you've certainly seen the all-star rosters if you're listening to this podcast. So we're not going to go through, each one and talk about each player or something like that. But, you know, one of the problems is, uh, you know, let's take the Atlantic, which is, you know, where Detroit plays. So a lot of our listeners are paying attention to that. You have Nikita Kucherov, who is scoring about 18 points a game. Um, and you have Steven Samkos, who is not doing as well as he typically does, but he is still doing very well. And they are the representatives from Tampa. Now you could have pretty, like, you could easily make a case for Braden Point probably being above Steven Stamkos. In fact, I would make that case pretty easily, I think. Um, so Braden Point should be there, but he's not. And then when you have Toronto, you have Austin Matthews and John Tavares, which are, you know, both of whom are playing fantastically this year. Um, it's it's hard to say that they shouldn't be there. But then you have Mitch Marner, who is top 10 in scoring. Then you have Morgan Riley, who is doing very well as a defenseman. Toronto could easily have four players and there wouldn't be, I don't think you could really argue against it. If you're, if you're trying to argue about who, you know, who the best players are going for each division. Um, now the problem has been like, if you take a team like Detroit, Dylan Larkin is having an incredible year. Um, he is, I, I think far and away been Detroit's best player, but the problem is if you look at the list of forwards, I don't know who you could say that he should replace. And even so, like I said, you have Mitch Marner, you have Braden Point, and there's even a couple other players who are near the top of the league in scoring that didn't get selected as a forward from the from the Atlantic. So it's tough. It's tough because Jimmy Howard definitely, in my opinion, deserves to be on that team. I think he's had a really great season. Um, but it's it's tough because Dylan Larkin probably deserves it more. Um, and that's, that sucks. But then, uh, obviously I don't want to filibuster. I'm going to turn it over to you in a second, but the, the one thing I want to say is that 
the NHL actually has done a pretty cool thing in adding a, a, a little twist to this where the fans get to vote on one more player for each division. Um, but again, if you are listening and you're a Red Wings fan, the problem there is going to be that it's going to be pretty tough for um, Larkin to get selected just because, number one, you have Toronto and Toronto uh, Toronto fans like grew up voting for meaningless polls uh, in their crib. But then even if you look at the list of players that he's up against, it's hard, it, it, it's hard to make a case for him uh, being better than all of these players. In fact, I think it's probably impossible, but let alone most of them. You know, you have Patrice Bergeron, Jeff Skinner, Alexander Barkov, Shea Weber, Mark Stone, Braden Point, and Morgan Riley. And like I said, you know, Patrice Bergeron was out for a while. Shea Weber missed a lot of the season. You know, so I think you could probably make a case there. But all the other players, I think, are, are above him in scoring. Uh, not that scoring is the only thing, but they're all really high-level players. And so the fact that you have a lot of players that are this elite caliber in one division, in my opinion, kind of shows how this does this the system doesn't really work as well as it should. I think that's a fair point. Um, it is kind of a stacked deck against Larkin in, in, in this regard, but Peter, if you'll notice, uh, Mr. Larkin is currently leading the league in overtime game-winning tallies. And since the format is the method in which he has scored those goals, I'd say that makes him the most valuable player for this type of all-star format. If we were talking about, you know, the way the game was played 20 years ago and, you know, pretty much the, hey, <clears throat> you know, they kind of treated the game kind of like the Anchorman fight, no touching of the <laughs> hair or face, no, let's do this. And then, you know, just like silly tic-tac-toe tic -tac goals just, you know, up and down the street. And, um, but, uh, again, I, 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 you, you're definitely right. I think Larkin is unfortunately in, in a, in the wrong, in true John McClain fashion in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> and, uh, he's got, uh, definitely a lot to be proud of. I don't necessarily think that not going to the game is going to diminish what he's, what he's done. But, um, I think this also speaks to the larger issue here, Peter, which is, I'm sure that we were going to talk to, and talk about this uh, regardless of the situation, because I think we talked about it in the same fashion last year, which is uh, they continue to shoot themselves in the foot by with how they promote this, how they handle it, how it's executed. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember which I, I forget their name and I'm sorry, but I'm definitely taking mm -hmm. your tweet, but I'm still citing you, even <laughs> though I can't remember your name. I'm still saying it's not me. Um, they were saying that it's funny how, Everyone, no, I think it was LeBron. Okay, maybe I do remember. I think it was LeBron who had said, um, it's funny how everybody comes out of the woodwork to talk about snubs, but then they don't watch the yeah. game. <laughs> yeah, like, like the, I think the part that everybody looks forward to more is what they could get mad about rather than excited about who they get to see in this, yeah. in this matchup thing. And so, I don't know. I, what's weird too, Pete, is I think – Baseball is the only all-star game. Now, again, I'm not saying it's any better. I think the all-star format across all major sports could be tweaked to like kind of be more fun and accessible. But as far as national carriage, as far as I know, that one, the MLB all-star game is the most recognizable to me right now because it's 
on the air. It's like over the air. You can turn on your TV and watch it. Whereas the All-Star game, I mean, you're kind of you like you're stuck with NBC yeah. Sportsnet, right? Which means you have to have cable or you have to go to a bar. And I don't think everybody's really excited to 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 do that, especially if they don't have a lot of their own people on the team. So I would uh you know, I I wager that what they should do is like have <laughs> here here is my bombastic stupid idea uh at the all-star game uh like you have your rosters mm-hmm. but it's of every but everybody is still you know everybody's allowed to go everybody's allowed to dress but what they do is they basically take up the entire sections behind the benches so you have players and then there's the bench and then what happens is in live real time you hot swap guys from the stands onto the bench to just okay. rotate in. So that way, technically, everybody's there at the All-Star game. Everybody has a chance to play, depending upon the situation. But, uh, you know, you get the visual stimulation of like, wow, my guy's there. But because, like you said, if it's the Larkin stacked against the points and, and a Bergeron stuff, you know, they, they obviously showcase that. But, um, yeah, it, I, honestly, I was surprised Jimmy made it. Um, I think that uh, based on our last episode of uh, of, of Weem Radio, whoa, radio, um, when I picked him as my super season surprise, even with that being the case, I wasn't sure it was all star worthy. But okay, so here here he goes. He's gonna you know he's gonna go to San Jose and he's gonna be uh, whatever he wants to be because he's an all star now. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited in that regard. Uh, but you're right. Looking at the other, um, it, it's funny because I feel like if we played in the central Larkin's a lock, cause I don't, I don't think that, you know, it, heck even in the, even in the Pacific, I think if we're playing there, I think Larkin's a lock, but you're right. It just happens to be a poor geographical circumstance where, you know, I think if, Basically, Larkin has has to be surrounded by the talent that those other guys are playing with in order to be in that same conversation. Because if you know if 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 Larkin's getting fed passes from from Kucherov or Bergeron or Marchand or, or any of those, then yes, we're obviously you know even Marner or or Nylander, like yes, of course, we're talking about Dylan Larkin being a lock. It just it just seems kind of weird because, yes, of the two people that are making the most impact on this team, Jimmy Howard and Dylan Larkin are those two people. Yeah. Like, that's 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 a settled thing. So um, you'd like to think that when your team has demonstrably only two good, very good players having very good years, then it's easy to send yeah. them both. But like you, like you said, the Toronto has like five people. And t- Tampa's got four. Yeah. So, I mean. God's yeah, speed. I mean, like Patrick Laine <laughs> has twenty four goals, and he's he wasn't selected. Um, I mean, it's just, and again, I think yeah. I think it, it, it's it comes down to the format, it, like the the way that the format is set up, it it causes this to happen. It it means that this kind of has to this kind of has to happen, um, and yeah. it, it's tough because I mean, like like the the other thing that we didn't talk about is the idea of like do you really even want your best players if you're a fan to go to that game? And I, I like, obviously you want to see them play with other great players. Like there's th- that one aspect, but then there's also the aspect of, do you want them to stay home and rest? Um, especially maybe if they, you know, throughout the season, hockey players get, get banged up. And a lot of times they don't 
sit out and at the end of the year, then they have like, you know, surgery on four body parts or something crazy. And so yeah. from that aspect, I, I think there's a lot to be said for, for not really wanting your players to go. Um, and see this, this is always interesting to me because I, I, as a fan, don't ever really want my goalie to go to an all-star game. And the reason for that is because the chances of a goalie getting hurt in an all-star game are so much higher than in a regular game. Even if they're not trying their hardest, the like like the moves that they have to make as a goalie, like the way they have to move their body to to stop these three on O's and two on one, you know, two on O's, et cetera, in, the, in this three on three, where you know you don't really get a ton of defense. I mean, it, it, it opens up the possibility that the goalie could get hurt, in my opinion, more than a regular game. And so, because of that, I'm always hesitant as a fan to to have a goalie go. Um, and I mean, we saw this with. Uh, you know, slightly different case, but with Alexander Ovechkin, who decided he basically, he's like, I'm not even going to fake an injury. I'm just not going. And I think that kind of, I think that illustrates a a fundamental problem with the all-star game as it currently is constructed. And I think the league really needs to kind of take a step back and say, what can we do differently to move this forward? I agree. And I tweeted this the other day. There is no, uh, even with the popularity of Crosby and Stamkos and Kucherov and, and and all the other marquee players, there is no other player that I would have wanted more to test fire the I'm just not going to go method than Alexander yeah. Ovechkin. I mean, if it, it, what's funny is like he's very professional with the way he was like, yeah, well, you know, playoff push, uh, you know, I want the rest. I want to be, you know, hey, we want to win the cup again. And that's a very admirable answer. And as a fan, I'm sure that's exactly what you want to hear. But I think we're overlooking the fact, Peter, is that Alex Sovechkin went plaid in celebrating that yeah. that, that cup. So for all we know, he's been <laughs> hang, hung over for the last four months still. Like he probably gave that interview. If he breathed on you, that was probably alcohol from every <laughs> – major sports book in <laughs> Vegas. So if we're just being honest here, the man knows his own body. If he knows what he needs to do in order to compete again so that he can go to light speed once more by celebrating a cup win, who are we to tell him? Of? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I, you know, Russian, Russian machine needs a break. And I, 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 I can't hey. take credit for that. I saw that on Twitter. Somebody, and again, if I remember who it was from, I would give him credit. Uh, but I just so we are giving you credit. We're sorry we can't. Yeah, name I just wanted specifically, to, yeah. but just know that we are giving. I just you want to make sure nobody thought that I'm trying to claim that as my own. All right, so uh, so Jay and I will be back after that to wrap up the show. All right. So for our interview today, we are talking to Ryan Stimson. All right. So he's a Sabres contributor at the athletic Buffalo, um, but he's also, he's written about hockey analytics uh, since 2013. So he's been doing it for a while. Um, he's done a lot of different stuff, right? He was involved in the passing project. Uh, sorry, leading, leading the passing project, uh, which is uh, a lot of, a lot of cool uh, developments and analytics uh, and analysis came out of that. Um, like a lot of the people we've had on before, he's, he's published on hockey graphs um, and he's, uh, he's, he's written for um, the coach's site uh, about hockey systems. 
Um, oh, sorry. Also consulted for RIT's men's hockey team since 2015 and coached his first Bantam team in 2017 to 2018. All right. So not just not just writing about it, but actually out there uh, coaching and being involved with teams. Uh, lastly, just want to make sure we'll, we'll talk about this as we go through. Um, he's recently published a book called Tape to Space, Redefining Modern Hockey Tactics. Um, and we'll put a link in there uh, to the Amazon uh, link on there and you can go buy it after you listen. All right. So, Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Peter. How are you? I'm I'm doing good. This is this is good. Uh, ever since we met a couple of years ago, I've always wanted to have you on, and I think this is uh, like perfect timing. You know, with the book. I mean, you know, there's always be stuff to talk about, but there's even even more stuff now. Um, so before we get to the book and we talk about, um, you know, the, the the modern hockey tactic ideas that you're you're right about in there, I wanted to talk a little bit about Buffalo because our podcast is dedicated to the whole NHL and. Uh, so, you know, some of our listeners don't get to uh, really pay too much attention to other teams around the league. So Buffalo's doing definitely better than they have uh, done in a while. I guess this is kind of a simple question to start with, but like, what are the biggest reasons that Buffalo has taken taken this step forward? Well, I, well, I, I guess to, to answer that, you have to, to think about like what is a step forward for this team, right? And you know, so so going into this season. Uh, I think a step forward would have been, you know, playing some fun, attractive hockey compared to the last mm-hmm. couple seasons and just being competitive in, in games and having the season matter, you know, kind of essentially past Christmas. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, they they had a, you know, a ridiculous 10 game win streak, you know, so they, you know, accomplished that. Like the season's been fun. They brought in Jeff Skinner, him and Eichel and Reinhardt have been, you know, a very exciting, dynamic top line for this team that they haven't had in quite some time. And, you know, so that engages the fan base again. It gives them, you know, reason to kind of believe in the team again. But the whole time that's going on, you know, if you look under the hood at how they're actually playing, you know, it's a bit of smoke and mirrors. And so now the last I was actually just writing about this this morning for The Athletic, um, you know, the last I think they're they're like five, seven and four in the last like 16 games or so. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a, a point pace that'll get you certainly out of the playoffs throughout the season. And, you know, so it's a lot of fans are like, what is this team? You know, like what exactly is this team? Are we good or are we not? And, you know, they've been riding some percentages. Their goaltending has been very good. And, you know, it's now we're going to kind of see, okay, what can the coaching staff do to improve the team's performance? You know, cause what is Jason Bottrell going to do? I mean, cause they're, should very much still be taking kind of a long-term approach here. And, you know, we don't want to gamble away lots of picks for short-term solutions. And, you know, if there's a move to be made to, to improve the team, but now and also in the future, that's something they should do. But right now as they're playing, I mean, this team is not a playoff team. Uh, This team is not very good in many ways. Uh, And the coaching staff has kind of been slow to react to, to make necessary changes. Uh, Ryan, if, if there was one move that you would think is the most prudent right now, what what would it be? And I realize that's probably the first time you've ever heard that question. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, I, I, are you talking like a move like internally or some sort of like external move barring like a trade or something? Well, I, I was reading your article recently about the, the possibility surrounding Jeff Skinner. So I was thinking, mm-hmm. you know, is, is Skinner the kind of the, the, the point, number one move that that could be made to address larger future issues or is or is there something else to 
you know, I, I again, I always ask that question, hoping one guy's like, you know, I've been sitting on the answer to that for about 12 weeks now, and I'm finally glad over the airways I can say it. Shoes. Shoes are the reason this team was going to get better. <laughs> just like, just, just completely n- nothing hockey related is the right. reason why a team could be better. But I figure that you are a professional, and I just figure that you actually have real real reasons of how a team could, <laughs> could get better instead of the ethereal that I just, yeah. I, I swear it's going to be, it's going to take getting like an NHL GM on our show to be like, to, to be honest with you, it's uh it's the food, the chicken <laughs> parm we serve here is unparalleled. We flew the guy in from Italy. He makes the best marinara. That's why we're winning. So and that's just, good. I'm, I'm actually going to start using that in like future, you know, like <laughs> podcasts and stuff. Like just yeah. providing, like, what's the reason why this team isn't successful? Well, you know, they're not really eating their buffalo wing quota that they have, you know, <laughs> yeah. and all of that. But, um, but no, if there was one move, I mean, it, it's Skinner is an interesting issue. Um, but as far as like improving this season, I think it really comes down to to lineup optimization. Um, you know, I the day the season started, I wrote a piece on how the Sabers are most likely going to roll with the top line of you know, Jack Eichel, Jeff Skinner, and Sam Reinhart. And that line is going to put up a lot of points and be fun, and it's going to keep them in games, and it's also going to be a terrible idea. And because <laughs> the the drop-off from that team um, or from that line to the rest of the lineup, it's 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 cataclysmic, right? It, it's, it's abysmal, the bottom nine performance this team rolls out there night in, night out. And – you know, we know from from lots of people who have done research on lineup optimization. Like you're more often, you're much better balancing out your lineup and having like one of Reinhardt or Eichel or Skinner on the ice for you know 45 to 50 minutes a game rather than you know 14 to 15 minutes a game where all three of them are out there, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a there's, you can only have players perform so high, right? There's a ceiling because the game is just so inherently random and chaotic you know, the best lines out there are still only going to control like 60% of the shots, right? You're not going to have a line go out and dominate 95% of the shots and score goals like every single night. It's just, it doesn't happen in hockey. And so that, um, you know, that's the move that could help, uh, you know, the rest of the season, because then you're also going to get a better look at, uh, you know, your, your young players, right? Like how good is Casey Middlestead? Well, you know, he was not really playing with anybody that can really help him too much, you know, but if you put Reinhardt on his wing, now he has a proven play driver who can also chip in, you know, uh, you know, he's a really good passer and, and help score. And maybe that helps him also now, not, or not only now, but also in the future. So, so right now, the one move, it would be to, to reallocate the ice time in a much more efficient manner. Yeah. Um, obviously with Buffalo coming into this season, uh, one of the biggest, uh, biggest, I don't even know if I want to say question marks, you know, the, the one of the most interesting storylines was was having Dowling come in to see, you know, anytime you have a player that's hyped that much, there's always the question of are people going to expect too much of him right out of the gate? Um, and I haven't been able to pay as much attention as I'd like to. But from what I see from people who follow the team, it seems like he's he's really kind of settled into to this level of this level of player you know settled into the national hockey league um so i i guess i'll just ask it this way like 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 so how big of an impact has he been on the team and how like how long do you think it's going to take before we see like his i don't even want to say his ceiling but like you know when he turns into the dominant player that people have been you know predicting uh before he got into the league 
Oh, I mean, I think you know I, there are definitely glimpses of glimpses of it. I mean, it's just the way he plays that he looks so self assured and just. I mean, his skating is tremendous. Like you can, like if you didn't have numbers or names on the lineup or, or on the players on the ice and just all had him in like black jerseys, uh, you would still be able to pick him out within seconds because he mm-hmm. just sets himself apart so much when he's on the ice. Um, you know, I think you know. 41 games in the season, he's been as advertised. He's been phenomenal in, like, every way you look at a team and try to evaluate a player. Uh, you know, as far as, like, when, you know, maybe he'll really kind of – you'll kind of take notice. You know, I'm sure, like, in his second season, he'll launch himself into, you know, conversation among, you know, the some of the best young blue line players in the league. Uh, and then probably by his third season, you know, there's no reason why he can't challenge, you know, the, the Victor Hedmans, the, you know, uh, I mean, Eric Carlson will still be a couple years older at that point, but he'll still be amazing. Like, there's no reason why he can't uh, challenge the mantle of those guys in his third year. Um, mm. You know, he uh, he just he does everything so well and he, he plays the game uh, in a way that, that not many uh, defensemen do. Uh, you know, he's just he's so active all over the ice and it just it causes so many matchup problems for the opposition. Um, so, I mean, yeah, he's, it's very rare that someone comes in with that kind of hype and delivers and he is, he's done that in spades. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that that's, I mean, and I'm not surprised to hear that, that, that that's, that's what I've seen, uh, in the, the brief glimpses I've been able to, to, to see of him through highlights. Um, and I remember with him coming into the league that the things that you said, like those were the reasons that people said that he is such a, such a highly touted, uh, young player. Um, all right, so I wanted to, to transition into the book, and we were actually we were talking about this uh, on Twitter after I read I, I, I started reading the book, and and we we had a conversation on Twitter about this that I thought would would kind of be interesting to talk about. In in the book, you talk about taking applications. Uh, I'm not sure that's the right phrase, but you know, taking ideas from soccer, um, because even though obviously soccer, you don't have line changes or anything like that, but you definitely have like a fluid, uh, free flowing style of game. Um, and you know, there's a lot of things that can, can translate. And one of the things that I thought was the most interesting was this idea of, um, uh, you know, looking for space, uh, you know, player movement and realizing where, like, like not where there's space currently, but where there will be space based on what's about to happen. And the thing we were talking about is, you know, I played soccer and the better I got, I think the the reason I got better was because I was able to see that I would, I played in the midfield and I was able to see, okay, there's the ball. There's where all the other players are. Here's what's going to happen next. And here's where I need to be so that I can be open when that happens. Um, so if you can, like, just talk about that idea a little bit and, like, how it informs, you know, taking ideas from soccer and then using them to analyze hockey. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think it was great when you messaged me. You know, I had no idea, obviously, of your, your soccer background, but, like, that was great that, you know, you recognized that that connected with, you know, your development as a player, right? It's mm-hmm. not so much your physical development, but how you can, you know, what's the, the hockey phrase, quote, think the game, right? If right. you can, If you can think it, faster than other players you're going to appear faster and you know if you there's a a great quote out there um johan cruff you know talked about if you can start to move to an area before the defender you know you're going to look faster the team is going to look like they play faster but all you're really doing is you're just you're just being smarter out there right you, mm-hmm. you're taking advantage of what's not available now but you know if your team I and mean, because hockey 
like soccer, a lot of it is just based off reads and triggers and progressions, right? It's, um, you know, there's not as much time to set up like regular set plays like in a basketball or something. And, and you can even look a little bit to like rugby in this too, with how, with how free flowing that is. But, but if you look at, you know, so, so if you're coming up, let's say on an entry or you're retrieving a puck in the corner, you know, the players, you know, you survey the ice, right? You like, if you're going in the corner, like your shoulder check, see, okay, where are the defenders? Where's my support? And then in certain situations, if teams know how to react or practice, how to react to certain situations based on the reads, based on triggers that the opposition has in place, um, as far as their alignment and where they're, where they're moving to, then you can be a step ahead of the opposition, you know, anytime you have the puck and including your players off the puck and their movement that way. And so I think it's just, you know, you compare that to hockey's played now, and there's certainly elements of that now, um, but there's also elements of, you know, puck goes back to the point and all three forwards just collapse to the net. I mean, to me, that's the equivalent of like Stone Age hockey. You know, you're just mm. you're just let's throw it to the point. Let's throw it at the net and hope something happens. Like, why not take the opportunity to, you know, create from from that position? You know, like moving the puck to the point is essential, uh, but firing the puck from the point is is a waste of possession. I kind of liken it to uh, running plays and play action in the NFL. Right. I mean, play action can be a devastating weapon and it appears like a running play, but running Mm. plays are just dramatically overrated in their impacts as far as like winning the game. And I think moving the puck to the point is kind of similar as hockey's equivalent of that. You know, you move the puck there, there's your play action, like the defense starts to expand and crowd the point. And instead, based off of that movement, now our wingers go somewhere else our center goes somewhere else. And now we have essentially a kind of set progression off of that movement. And I think that's kind of more of how hockey should be coached. So Ryan, there, this, I, I apologize because I'm, I'm barely able to have time to read these days. So I largely lean on, on Peter. So I apologize if you do address this in your book, but um, based on what you were just talking about it, I, I guess my, I'm, I'm still wondering about um, this, this idea that's been floated out there. I know Chris Watkins, uh, senior Yolo Pinato has, has talked about this on podcasts as well, but about the idea of traditional defensemen kind of going away. And now you have essentially maybe five forwards on the ice and just, Whoever's last in, they kind of adopt the defense position, but they aren't exactly tethered to it. So with the style that you just described, do you think that the creativity or the execution of of these of these play action plays is the chances of them succeeding are higher because you have a more mobile, offensive, uh, capable defensive structure? Or is this really just a, a system that just needs to get adapted into the current set and then and then we could see changes happening well in in uh in, in an ideal world you wouldn't have positions you know in, in like if you're talking about hockey is like this this platonic ideal of <clears throat> how we're going to play the game and, and what attributes and habits and tactics we're going to have our players uh practice and, the, and then you know use in a game you're not creating a system of you know positions and in, in responsibilities kind of in this rigid structure you're simply <clears throat> you're constantly reorientating your team strategy to where the where the puck is right so if the puck is in the corner and we're on the four check everybody knows what they're doing based on kind of where they are and if the puck is then you know reversed or rimmed off the opposite side and now we're in a transition then the whole team kind of reorients based on their location to the puck and 
that first that works for offense and defensive, uh, you know, transition or, or zonal play. Um, so, so when Chris talks about, uh, you know, and I am, you know, pretty familiar with, with his research and he, he's a great guy. Uh, he does a lot of really interesting stuff, asks a lot of really interesting questions. You know, he's looking at which defensemen uh, exhibit similarities to forwards, right? And, and so in, in his research, his analysis, you know, which defensemen are, quote, you know, really just forwards, they just kind of play on the back end. And, you know, so if their results are consistently higher in terms of point production, in terms of on ice results, then the other defensemen, you know, why not just have five of those type of players? And I, th- I think that's kind of a right way to kind of look at uh, roster optimization and that you want not just positional players, but you want specific traits and specific skills. And, you know, hockey, like all sports, is just an arms race. And if you can get more skill and more of those desirable traits on the ice, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a forward, uh, you know, center, winger, defenseman, you know, whatever. Um, you just want as maximum skill as possible on the ice. And so I think that's one way to identify, essentially separate out which defenseman do we want on a team or not. Hmm. It's 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 funny as you were talking and you mentioned the uh, the platonic ideal of hockey. It made me think of uh, like the 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 hockey coach version of the allegory of the cave, um, where you have like a young hockey coach is untethered and able to you know walk out of the cave and he comes back and then at the end he has to explain all the new stuff that he learned to like Don Cherry. Um, <laughs> or like, I don't know, Mike Milbury. That, um, yeah, yeah. Don Cherry is going to be a little busy tonight railing about, you know, the Russian that threw away oh, his watch God. or something like that. So, so we'll, we'll, everyone, you know, who tunes in for that, will get another look at someone who's just well past, uh, their prime and has just lost the plot. So I remember I, I was listening to, um, uh, uh, it was the, the winged wheel podcast, uh, through, through a, a friend connection, they had Ron McLean on and they asked him, which is probably the question that I would have wanted to ask him, um, about like his looks during coach's corner. Um, where like, I always say, it looks like he's in a hostage video. Um, and <laughs> you, I mean, I'm, I'm sure everybody knows what I'm talking about. There's a series of, you know, every time there's one, uh, it's, you know, posts on Twitter about, you know, his exasperated look or him trying to interject so they don't get, you know, in trouble Rain for yeah. racism or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because, uh, cause obviously he's not going to publicly say, you know, oh, well, here's why I do that. But um, he had some kind of line about, um, you know, he was, you know, concerned about time or something like that. But um, anyway, at least the question got asked. <laughs> um, so I wanted to I wanted to make sure that we got to our uh, our listener question because it's a really good one. And so it's from a significant otter. And so basically, here's the question. So he's curious if, if you have any ideas about um, the low danger save percentage that we recently discussed about our goalie tandem. So basically, uh, Detroit's both of Detroit's goalies are, I think, when I did the research, I think Howard, at, like this is out of like 66 goalies that played above like, I don't know, 300 minutes or something. Bernier was dead last and Howard was like 40th. And Jimmy Howard's numbers in pretty much every other category, you know, medium danger, high danger, like like gold saved above average, et cetera, were really, really good. But low danger is like really bad. And like I said, Bernier was terrible, uh, even though his his stats were better in other uh, in other areas. So so he's he's wondering about that. So um, 
you know, if you have any insight into schemes or play styles of a team that might lend themselves to causing such weird outliers, is it really just freaky goaltending or could there be some other reason that would cause this to happen? I think this is a good question because it gets at a lot of different things. I mean, one, it's you're, I mean, you're constantly looking at your team, your players and evaluating, you know, where are we doing well? Where are we doing well? And, and you look at outliers like their low danger save percentage and instantly, okay, like this is odd, you know, why would this be? Now we know from, you know, lots of research uh, into the low, you know, medium, high danger save percentage is that, the high danger one is consistently where goaltenders will draw a lot of their, their value as far as like future goal mm-hmm. prediction. Um, you know, whereas like low danger save percentage tends to be, you know, one of the more uh, inconsistent kind of, you know, it's, there, there's not a lot of re- uh, repeatability is the word that, you know, is often used in association with that. So it's generally going to return to its average rate. Um, but in the meantime, you know, so when we talk about things regressing, right? Like regressing to the mean, like you, it's not, oh, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. You know, that that's one way to look like you don't mm-hmm. want to get hung up on that. Right. But internally, you know, the Red Wings are, are likely looking at those something like that too. It's like, you know, why are we giving up so many bad goals? And so from their perspective, you know, regression, you know, there's a natural, you know, immovable, you know, property to that, that it's go- part of it is going to happen no matter what you do. Right. And but part of it is also part of that regression are teams making adjustments. And so if if the Red Wings, you know, are looking internally, it's like, you know what, maybe we're getting beat by a lot of these shots, these low danger shots from far out because, you know, we're not doing a good enough job of, you know, deterring opposing forwards from like screening our goalie, let's say. Right. Mm -hmm. So so perhaps that's a piece of that. And then through coaching and through video work. Uh, you know, and, and repeated, uh, you know, urging at the coaching staff to to get the defensemen to be more territorial, be more dominant, be more, um, <clears throat> uh, what's the word I'm looking for, you know, vigilant in, in that area, um, you know, maybe they start to clear out the crease a little bit more. They start to clear out, you know, the house a little bit more. Now the goalies ca- can see a f- more of these pucks coming in and just, you know, save them as the low danger chances that they are. Yeah. You know, another um, area might be, you know, the goaltenders, you know, are they simply not getting, you know, set properly react slow to react to some of these low danger chances out there. So, I mean, there's, there's a couple different areas that coaches might zero in on and then making these small adjustments, you'd see that low day, low danger, save percentage improve. And, you know, on the outside, we can look at it and say, Oh, well, we knew it was going to regress to the mean anyway. And part of that is very much true, but also regression does, often account for adjustments made by coaching staff, by players and teams that, well, what, and here's a, you know, something that, you know, I want to work on at some point. It's just never any time in the day, really, for anything you want to do. But an idea to look at which coaching staffs can prolong, like, uh, you know, spikes in shooting percentage or save percentage uh, and which ones, you know, are maybe slow to react. So are there something that, coaching staffs, you know, can they regress faster to the mean, essentially, when when things are going bad, can you get back to that average? Mm. And then also, can you stay at a higher elevated level uh, longer? Like, is there something maybe you're doing that, you know, the opposition hasn't caught on to yet? I mean, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, so Ryan, when it comes to employing the the styles, and, and I guess I want to ask this of of your personal experience because uh, you um, have consulted with 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 men's teams and 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 you actually coached your according to your athletic bio, which I have to take as gospel because you can pretty much put everything on anything in there, and I believe it without, uh, without <laughs> a second thought, but. Um, so in, in maybe this is kind of a two part question cuz I often think back to the the game that Jimmy Howard um played against Vancouver this was early on in his career and that was his that was his rubicon that he finally figured out that he could act like he had that was his confidence cornerstone like up until that point he was kind of played off and on but you know they were this was the this was in the in the, the just the absolute peak of the overripe mentality that Holland had with players down in Grand Rapids. So you know, oh geez, did we you know did we spoil Howard? And um, there was it was I forget I forget what which year it was exactly, but they basically were talking to him after the game, and he was like, you know what, this this is what I needed. This is what like I you know I'm I'm glad that I fi- figured it out that I now know that I can do this. I can play in this league. So. From your perspective, um, have you had that moment yet with your coaching? Have you had, because obviously, like, I will try new things. I will want to try new things, find new disciplines and all that stuff. But, you know, in, in the great words of, uh, of, of Adventure Time, uh, the first step towards being good at something is sucking at something. <laughs> so in, in your opinion, you know, in, in where you are now, you know, have you had a eureka moment where you're like, you know what, I actually know what the F I'm talking about right here. Or or what have you discovered in it, it, maybe even writing your book where you're like, yes, this, yes. Mm. Like I, like I, I found, I, I found it. You guys, you guys, I found, <laughs> I found it. Yeah. I mean, you, it's certainly kind of a, uh, you know, like a series of those, of those moments. Like you, you, uh, you know, you have ideas and you feel pretty confident in them. And then when you go to put them into practice, um, you know, to, to, to your point, to, to quote you, it's like, oh, this doesn't work. This sucks. And, you know, so was it the the idea originally that that uh, betrayed me or was it nearly the execution? And, you know, what are different ways you can kind of go about that? Uh, you know, coaching, it's, you know, you have these ideas of, of what you want to accomplish, but really it's, you know, what I learned and what I, uh, you know, was not good at at the beginning of the season, but but uh, became much better at towards the end of the season, uh, is designing drills to not only, you know, adhere to USA Hockey's you know mandate and focus on skill development, uh, but also could carry with it, um, you know, habits of how we wanted the kids to play, right? So 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 how do you yeah. build something? Uh, and, and drill it into into kids while it's beneficial to their long term development, but is also you know going to serve you well in games. What your larger picture is, right? Um, yeah. And then you know so there are moments where it's kind of a stop start. Like you 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 have ideas that that work you know to varying degrees, and then you continually improve on them. And and then just as you think something like oh they have this that's perfect they know that it's working really well all of a sudden it stops working and so you have to kind of okay look go back to and like all right what happened here so I think it's just you know, continuing to evolve in that sense and, and also you know I had some of these eureka moments when yeah I mean I like again to quote you like you know if I knew what I was talking about or not is so many other coaches 
you know, have like read some of my work and reached out to say, you know, either, Hey, I read this piece you wrote, we tried it. And now my, the high school team, I coach is the highest scoring team in our league. And, you know, you hear from, um, European coaches who, you know, seem to be much more open to trying new things, uh, you know, and ask for more diagrams, ask for more, you know, clips of rotations and how to do this. And they, you know, report back a couple months later, like, Hey, this works really well. And then you also hear from people like, Oh yeah, I've been doing this for years and it's great. You know, it's great to see someone write about it. And so, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, it's, so you add all of that up to my own experience. And then on top of that, all of the analytical research and it's like, yeah, may, you know what? Maybe there is something here. Like I tend to be a pretty modest guy. So, so it's very rare that I'm like, yeah, I know what the hell I'm talking about, but uh, internally I'm, yeah, I'm at that point. Yeah. Perfect. I'm glad. <laughs> I may, and I want more of those moments for you. I seriously do. Cause you know, I, 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 again, first of all, like actually finishing a book, I think that's, I think that's something I would regard as like a eureka moment for myself. So I'm glad, I'm glad you're, you're plowing the way for the rest of us. You're, <laughs> you're, you're showing us it can be done. So um, yeah, that's fantastic. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it reminds me of, you know, as, as a teacher, I have to try to tell my students a similar thing, although I don't usually say, okay, you're going to suck. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> it, it, it is that general idea that, you know, I mean, I remember a, a long time ago when I started playing guitar, I was terrible, like really bad. And if I did, if I had just been like, okay, well, I guess I'm not good at it. And then, well, I never would have gotten good. Um, and, you know, kind of like Jay said, like, like there was like a, a moment where it was like, oh, okay, I, I, I got this. Um, so yeah. Anyways, that's, well, yeah. And there's, yeah. there's that quote by, um, uh, was it Einstein or I think it was that, you know, when he, he failed to like, I don't know how many times to oh, like, Edison, invent the right? light. Or Edison. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Sorry. That's uh, okay. Certainly. Um, <laughs> yeah. hey, I'm not big on my, I'm not great on, caught up on my inventors, but uh, <laughs> um, so, so when Edison, yeah, he, uh, uh, he said, you know, people were like, Oh, you failed so many times. Like, no, I discovered like a hundred different ways not to create a light bulb. Right. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's kind of that same process. Like you, you, you have these ideas and if you don't get there the first, second or third time, it's not necessarily that the idea is bad. I mean, it very well could be, but maybe it's just, again, the execution, the path you're taking. And so when you have to, you know, try several more times, like to your point about, you know, playing the guitar, it's, it's like, you know, maybe your first way to do it wasn't the best way for you. And so you discover new ways to, to learn and get to where you want to be. And that just makes you a better guitar player, a better coach, a better anything. Yeah. Um, all right. So I, I have, I have one last, one last specific question to wrap it up. Um, we, uh, you and I have, have talked uh, a while because this, uh, this past year, I decided that I was going to write a series for uh, Winging in Motown about the, the Red Wings power play. Which has been a great series, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I've read, uh, you know, I read a lot of the things that you had written about the power play. Um, I read, you know, uh, Prashanth uh, had had some articles specifically about Detroit's power play. Um, and I, I obviously there was other other things I read. Um, so, you know, that had a particular interest for me. So um, when I got the book, I jumped right to that power play section. And I thought it was really interesting because um, when I was look at, you know, when I was kind of getting started looking into this, like the, 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 the piece that I really liked was, uh, was Matt Cain's, um, article in, or I guess chapter in, uh, was it hockey prospectus or what's it called? Hockey abstract. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Hockey abstract. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, he had this big, long article about power play and he had like, you know, different ideas and stuff. And so 
uh, one of the things that he talks about was uh, what he calls the structure index, which is basically our players taking their shots from a relatively repeatable area. And so I thought it was really interesting that in your book, you talked about how you don't want to have your players like always in the same space. And, 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 and I do think that what he was talking about was not just to have them stand there, obviously. Um, and I kind of got to see a little bit of this in action when I went to see uh, the Islanders play the Red Wings at Nassau Coliseum and the Islander power play should be really good. You know, Matt Barzal is incredible. Uh, Anders Lee is incredible in front of the net, especially, you know, in close and they have a, you know, a number of other really good players, their power play should be lethal. And it wasn't. And it was because they, they weren't moving. They were just always in the same spot and there was no, no rotation, no moving. Um, so I guess talk a little bit about, um, you know, what do you think makes a successful power play and, and how is it different than some of the things that um, people have talked about before with what makes a successful power play? I think there's there's a couple you know different di- different things uh, to talk about here when when you ask like th- this kind of question, but yeah. um, I think that you know a lot of the analysis done on power plays has been about you know like formations and you know like Matt's you know structure index like do they get their shots off consistently from same areas meaning you know they spend longer time set up in formation. Uh, and I think a lot of that is, is good for the way most power plays are currently run. But I do believe that there's a ceiling on the, a team's performance kind of using that mentality. And I, I don't think you ever want to, you know, intentionally put ceilings on what your team can do as far as uh, from a performance standpoint. And so I think that when you simply watch you, you know, you, you on the power play, you have obviously the advantage of an extra player. And what are some of the best ways to kind of create, you know, an open look for players close as possible to the net? I mean, that's essentially what you want. And if you're very static in, you know, largely setting up in the same positions. Now, yes, some players may exchange or rotate or motion into different spots. And then, you know, players fill in the open spots around them. But again, they largely come back to the same shape. And if teams do that and teams know they do that, then it becomes that much easier to defend, you know, a static uh, type of, of power play for the opposition, for the penalty killing team, right? Because you know that there's probably one or two preferred shooting options. And if you can disrupt that or slow down that or frustrate that, then the team, you know, may not essentially know what to do uh, when those first two options that they've been coached, like these are what we want to do on the power play. Okay, if those are taken away, what are we doing? Then you kind of have players freestyling, and and that's you know without a plan, and that can have chaotic success, but possibly not long term success because it's not it's more unscripted. But so as far as you know, coming back to that idea of static play, you know, if the defense can stand still and survey everything, then yes, simply because they're down a player, they're going to get scored on more often than not. But is it easier for them to play in that setting compared to an offense that is moving the puck all around uh, using the entire offensive zone and forcing them to, to cover players in new areas and constantly reassess. Now you have the defense moving, unsure where the puck's going, unsure where players are going. And it becomes that much more difficult for them to kind of contain everything in front of them and also be in good passing lanes and denying good shooting opportunities. So I think, using 
motion using all of the offensive zone and shifting between formation. Cause I'm not really a big formation guy either. I don't think it's important what formation you use. I think it's important how quickly you can shift between different formations uh, to maximize your shooting efficiency. Um, you know, if you can do that more often, I think you will then raise the ceiling of what you can accomplish. And I think that's what coaching should really be about rather than maximizing like kind of a lower ceiling plan. Yeah. So um, a, a quick follow up on that, because uh, like I said, I mean, you know, we were talking before about, um, you know, the impact of soccer. And I, I, I know from from playing soccer that, you know, that that, you know, that that works in soccer, you know, obviously it's it, you don't get power plays or things like that. But, you know, there's set plays and, and you know, you kind of get the ball where, OK, you got it at the top of the 18. And that's again, it's not a set play, but it's kind of, you know, it's something that happens, you know, fairly often throughout a game. Um, and if you do the same thing every time, the, the other team's going to know it's coming. So my follow-up question is, is, is the, the Ovechkin effect just an outlier of this? Like, do you think that if Washington did uh, more of a variation on their, on their power play setup that, that he, he could score even more? And, and, and like, why, why do you think that would be, if that's the case, I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, I absolutely think that they could, I, mm. I think that, because the there's an important distinction here is does a team have a good power play or do they just have a good power play weapon mm. right I mean is Ovechkin's going to get his goals regardless right yeah. and so if you're now Washington has you know for a great many years of the last I don't know however many six seven years I mean they've been at or near the top of the league in, in power play efficiency right so but most teams don't have that luxury right you know most soccer teams don't have a Lionel Messi Right. Yeah. So you can't just, you know, like, oh, well, what we do works because Messi just, you know, is brilliant and does this thing, <laughs> does certain aspects of the game better than anybody else. So does Washington have a good power play because Ovechkin scores a lot of goals? I don't know. Is that do they also have the same best, you know, five on five offensive system because he consistently leads the league in goals? I mean, it's it, it, I think it's very coaches and teams should be very honest with themselves uh, and anal- analysts as well. Is, does this power play weapon mean we have a great power play or are we creating this weapon through our scheme and i would argue that it's it's certainly a little bit of both but i think a better scheme could you know give Ovechkin even more goals there i I think it's important for teams that you know maybe have a poor man's Ovechkin um you know like you see some teams trying to load up players for that one-time shot as well and is that you know like, are they copying what, like, well, this works for Washington. It's like, well, it works for Ovechkin. Hmm. Right. And so, so I think it's important that you don't, teams don't want to copy what other teams do that are successful. If they have an ingredient that you can't get. Hmm. Sure. Yeah. I think um, it's always interesting. Cause I remember I got to see, um, what was it last year, or the year before I finally got to, to go see Ovechkin live in person and man, it was funny because you know I, I don't really watch Washington a lot, and and when you do, obviously it's 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 different on TV than it is actually being there because you know on TV you know they they, they pan the camera around and you can't always follow the player you want right. to, but you know when you're live, obviously you can just focus on whatever you want. And man, like it, it's not an exaggeration. It's like Ovechkin just like moves up about a couple feet and then slides back a couple feet. Um, it was it was pretty pretty interesting to see. But um, so anyway, so Ryan, thank you so much for for stopping by. Um, 
like I said, uh, the book is Tape to Space, Redefining Modern Hockey Tactics. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. We'll have a link to it. Um, the, the, the Twitter account where you can follow Ryan is RK underscore Stimp, S-T-I-M-P. And so, Another yeah, great exactly. Handle. Here we go again. <laughs> the streak continues. And, and so, so Ryan, just be, just before you sign, just before we we end this, um, like, what's your what's your pitch to our listeners? Obviously, they've they've heard you talk a lot about tactics and different ideas, you know. So, why should why should our listeners buy your book? Well, I think it it's it's different than a lot of hockey systems books that or hockey that you can find out there for a number of reasons. And, and I'll be brief here because I know we're wrapping up, but, no, it's okay. but the first one is, you know, every tactical decision is in some part based on or, or stems from an out like data analysis of different passages of play in hockey. Right. So there's, there's a, a solid evidence-based reason for why I make some of these or advocate for some of these choices. Right. So it's kind of a meeting of, you know, hockey analytics and tactical analysis in, in coaching in all of that in systems. And, and I think, uh, so that's one reason because there's not a whole, there's not a book like this out there essentially. So if you're interested in both, this should be your thing. Um, the second reason is a lot of books out there will kind of show you the basics. Uh, you know, here's how you forecheck, you know, in a one, two, two, here's how you have, you know, your hit layer and support zones and defensive zone coverage. Right. And so, you know, here's what a power play umbrella formation looked like. Here's what a one, three, one looks like. But what I do in my book is also show how they're all linked and how players, you know, how should they should react as the puck is moved throughout a progression, you know? So, okay. So here we can set up in our four check, but what happens when the first guys beat, you know, how do we then recover and still maintain effective pressure later on in the play? Right. So, so it's not only, you know, cause I don't believe necessarily in like these rigid systems, but also, you know, how you can accomplish your philosophy based on various areas of the ice. So there's a very much data analysis side to it. Um, there's very much a tactical side to it because, you know, I, you know, consider myself pretty well researched in, in, in versed in tactical analysis as well. And also there's a thorough, uh, breakdown of how the game is played rather than simply, you know, here are your roles in this type of four check kind of thing. Awesome. I'm sold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, um, I've, I, I haven't gotten a chance to read a ton of it. Um, it's, it, it's one of those books, at least for me that where it's kind of like a, like a read in chunks, like dip in and dip out. Um, yeah. As opposed to a start on page one and go all the way straight through. Uh, but the stuff I've read has been interesting, you know, like I like I mentioned before. Uh, so, yeah, thanks again. Uh, it was really great having you on and uh, we'll have to have a, you on again in the future. And if you're hesitant about getting it because it's almost 300 pages, like half of that, Peter, as you can yeah. attest to, is all diagrams. Oh, yeah. So it, may, it is a pretty quick read. Yeah. yeah. And then it's weird, like in the in the middle, there's like this photo section of like all these pictures of Ryan as like a, like a toddler. I'm not sure why he did that, but I, I thought it was I thought it was it was a nice little palate cleanser for all the tasteful, all the tactics. Very stuff. tasteful. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> That's only in like every seventh copy, oh. so you have to buy seven if you want to get that. There so. you go. All right. So uh, so so buy it today or buy seven, and uh, don't get mad at us when you don't know what a joke is. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Thank you very much, guys. I had a great time. You guys do a really good job with this podcast. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, big thank you once again to Mr. Simpson for uh, coming on here. And 
I I will have said it in and will say it over and over again. The uh, Twitter handles of the people that we get on this show, just that's an all star category in and of itself. RK Stimps, it's it's oh my gosh, I, I love this guy. So um, we are currently in the midst of some fun World Juniors action um, as we are recording this. Uh, USA will, is poised to play for gold. Um, do we know who they are playing against right now yes. as, as, as we speak? They are. Tell us, Peter. Tell us who USA will be winning gold they against are playing, this, this, this fine day. They are playing Finland. It is great that the U.S. will be winning silver this, this fine, <laughs> this fine and they're day. Actually, they're playing tonight. Uh, uh, tonight as we record this. Uh, <laughs> the bronze medal game between Russia and Switzerland is going to be at 4 p.m. Eastern. And then the gold medal game will be at eight. And I'm not really sure why I'm putting that in here, because by the time you listen to it, it will have happened two days ago. So if you own a time machine and you want to go back and watch it, that's when you can watch it. That's exactly right, because if there's anything that we for sure have pioneered, it's time machines specifically to go back and watch games live. So that's what we've done. However, we're not talking about the future. We're talking about the past, which is what led up to this. So. Uh, through the lovely wonders of technology, and but also the sad uh, wonders of technology, um, I don't have uh, a current cable subscription in order to have watched most of these games live. However, uh, social media has once again uh, decided to not suck and uh, be able to bring uh, not just uh, in-the-moment highlights. Uh, shout out to Mr. Pete Blackburn. Uh, the the awesomeness that is uh, World Juniors Hockey has not left my sight completely. Um, I will say the, uh, the 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 obvious highlight, Peter. It was um, even though they lost, uh, the Team USA getting a hat trick uh, with I think two seconds left on the clock to uh, to at least tie the game to send us overtime against Sweden. So um, that that was really really phenomenal and and kind of the reason that this tournament can can really surprise you with uh, the way the game is being played at that level but also the 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 glimpse into the future of NHL talent that that we're seeing from it so um Pete what has been your uh I mean in terms of the world like I don't know I feel like this has been a textbook run tournament in 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 and on how it's been able to be showcased is, you know, yes, it's kind of sad because it's not really being pushed on any major mega outlet, but um, what are you, what are your thoughts on it so far? And, and is there anything you'd like to see more of or, um, or, or, or otherwise? Yeah, I, I got to see not a lot of it, but I got to see uh, some of the games. I tried to watch as much as I could, but the problem is that I, uh, most of the games I really want to watch are on in the evening when the NHL games are on. And so depending on how much I have to pay attention to each one, it's, it's kind of hard to to have them both on at the same time. Um, although I, I did, I did attempt that a little bit. Um, yeah, I think it's, this has definitely been a really interesting tournament. Um, one thing that, that you didn't mention that, that has been a really interesting storyline has been uh, Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan has, uh, they, you know, they, they, they didn't make it to the medal round and they ended up in the, the relegation round, but they ended up beating Denmark, uh, to 
stay in the uh, stay in the tournament next year and to relegate Denmark, unfortunately, um, for next year. So Kazakhstan, I mean, that's it's pretty surprising. You know, it's if you if you listed all the all the countries and you said, who do you think is going to do well? Most people probably wouldn't have put their money on Kazakhstan. Um and again, obviously, I mean, they, they they ended up playing in the relegation round, but I mean, they still beat Denmark, and that's a that's a pretty big accomplishment for them. Um, to quote Borat, Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan, you're a very nice exactly. place. So con- congratulations to them, and I'm sure that they would really like to get away from any and all Borat references, <laughs> so I immediately apologize. Um, but yeah, that that is really cool. I mean, you know, this obviously gives Denmark the, the type of, um, you know, wake-up call that... <clears throat> you'd think that any team needs in order to stay in contention. So, um, you know, good, good for Kazakhstan. Um, I'm, I was also reading that um, I guess we should be on the lookout for Germany and Belarus. Cause I guess they are really sharpening up their programs. And uh, I'm, I'm excited for that mostly because I think now you've got, you know, teams that aren't exactly, you know, the like the will trodden um, entrance and, um, I'm just glad because I think that Germany has one of the best jerseys ever uh, in, in regards to um, – I, I don't know if they're going to wear – see, what's weird is like how the Will Jr. stuff, like they're, they're wearing mostly what they wore for Winter Olympics, but they're also wearing like throwback yeah. stuff. So, But the one that I'm talking about in, in, in specificity is this really cool – they got like this this hawk that's right on the front of their jersey, and I think the majority of the of the torso is is yellow, and then they've got like the shoulder bar, the shoulder region in in all black. It's just it looks very clean, and I and the more the more I see of that, the more I really like it. And um, so I'm 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 really excited. Again, Pete, I would love to just have this these games be widely more accessible. I understand it's a regional thing, but we are in the region. Yeah. <laughs> like I am literally in the region for which this would be the most uh, interesting and in line with my interests. So uh, I don't know if it needs, you know, it, it, I feel like if I'm the NHL, find a way to partner with IHF and like, Hey, if you make it, make it free streaming or, you know, at least make NHL network a little bit more watchable on your app. Cause like, Hey, if it's just, if it's just the world juniors, like, you know, I, I realize that yes, you want to be able to like have people pay to subscribe to watch it because it's a premium service. I get that, but you know, at least you know in the early goings here, if you're trying to like bump this tournament up, like let's bump it up, like the like smother, just completely flood my feed with it. Because what's weird is you haven't been flooding my feed with the All Star game, and I pretty much follow all of your channels. The only reason that the All Star stuff started showing up in my feed more is because how he got elected, and then we're trying to get Larkin in. So, you know, I just, I'd, I'd like to see, I'd like to be able to just have the chance to just turn yeah. it on and it's, and it sucks that we don't have it. it like 10 years ago, Pete, I would totally accept that. Yes. We didn't have the technology. Uh, robots weren't invented yet. <laughs> we Skynet didn't go, Skynet didn't <laughs> go live. Um, so you just, just don't worry, don't worry about it. You know, I'll, I'll tell you okay. after the show. So, but, but now given the, the, the accessibility that we have with our phones and tablets and, and the internet and stuff, there's no reason you can't at least just be like, "Hey, two bucks, throw it down. You can watch the rest of the tournament." Oh, okay, great. They always do. They wait. You know, remember they always do that half season discount for NHL yeah. TV. 
you know, instead of it being a hundred bucks, it's like 48 bucks or something. And then you get the rest of the season. So, you know, just come up with something. Um, yeah. So, so one thing we actually didn't even, even talk about was the, I, I guess, I guess a little bit, but this, this has been a world junior tournament that has been, uh, has, has, has been defined by upsets, right? Because, yeah. Most people thought that the the U.S. had a good chance to get a medal, but I, I don't think most people thought that they had a chance to play for the gold medal. And the night before, uh, Switzerland beating Sweden uh, to knock them out of, like you know, to knock them out of the top four, which was kind of crazy. Like you know, that, it was insane that that happened. You know, it, it's crazy that we don't have Sweden, Russia, or Canada playing in the gold medal game it's if, if you would if you would try to if you would try to take odds on that heading into the tournament i think um i think i think you probably could have made a lot of money if you were able to to, to find somebody to take the other side of that absolutely and i think what most predictors had was us either doing silver or or bronze so this is obviously a new age a, a new age for for you know it's nice to have finals like this right this is this is the this is the Buffalo. Uh, this is the Buffalo Winnipeg Cup final version of of what of what the World Juniors could be. Because yes, every year you see you know like Pittsburgh or Washington, you know, but finally you get to see some like you know someone else get a get a try at the dance. And, and also inversely, Pete, and we'll only talk shortly about this because we don't really want to give credence to these people, but. Sadly, a portion of this tournament has also been defined by diaper babies <laughs> and being upset that their uh, that their teams did not uh, advance um, in the form of uh, very very poor behavior online. And you know, this is something that Pete and I have talked about at length before um, about how you need to govern yourself and 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 how you treat these people. Um, because at the end of the day, they are yeah. kids. And even if they are kids, they are people, which means you treat people with respect and, and, and you don't flood their Instagram pages with death threats and, and just the most vile, dumb and selfish dialogue just because your country didn't get to play for a gold medal in a sport while the planet is on yeah. fire. <laughs> like, just compartmentalize your your ignorances and just recognize that these guys are able to have the chance to play for something that's what and to you know i realize it's even kind of preachy you know that's what the olympics is all about too it's not about winning the gold it's about mm. the chance and all these kids are in arguably the in the start of or or right on the cusp of starting their prime and they're playing the game at this raw kinetic creative level against their age group across the planet. And it's such a privilege to play among your peers at such a high level. And, and this is where you can pretty much try everything and, and, and surprise people. And it just, it's really sad that that's all overshadowed by just a bunch of giant, giant diaper babies. <laughs> All right. So for the last segment of our show, we have three short, uh, three topics that we want to talk about uh, quickly, but we, we definitely wanted to make sure that we mentioned them. Uh, so first of all, we have not talked about video game hockey in quite a while, uh, considering how, how much we talked about it in the beginning of the show, yeah. the, you know, beginning of the, the podcast run. 
So, so Jay was telling me before we recorded that he has noticed something new in NHL 19. Now, I, to be honest, have not played NHL 19 in a while. Uh, so I'll have to jump back in and, and, uh, and check this out. But uh, so, Jay, so what did you notice? Well, it may not be considered what's what many refer to as one of the like redefining additions to to the update of a game, but it certainly wasn't there when the game was released. So some patch somewhere um, or or downloadable content edition uh, added this feature. And um, again, like Pete said, we've been we've been busy. We you know, we may, maybe we subconsciously felt like we just talked about video games just way too much. So now we just kind of crimp the hose a little bit. But now, you know, maybe we'll get back into the swing of things about our favorite game of uh, video game puck. But I uh, recently had uh, some time and uh, logged on to play some Hockey Ultimate Team. And uh, I had not played in like a couple months. <laughs> and uh, so I was just looking over how my team was currently constructed. Um, I was a, um, a complete lemming and fool because I, uh, well, I, it's funny Pete, because while I said, I didn't want to spend more money on this game this year, I actually did what philosophers call the, uh, the calidism where I uh, played myself. <laughs> um, so, uh, it, it basically I bought the, uh, like the special, 99 Gretzky dollar digital download thing that gave me a couple of guaranteed players. And, and I guess I get like two gold packs like per week or something. Um, so I, I've, I've been logging on to take advantage of those, but I haven't really played cause I'm just, you know, the, the rigors of the season. But anyways, I logged on, you know, I've got an eight, you know, I've got an all time 85 LA Kings Gretzky. Like there's some really cool players that I have on this team. So, I played in one of the matches, and uh, I scored my first goal with uh, uh, Neuendijk. And I noticed now that in the bottom left corner of the screen, uh, the game now animates the player card of the player that scored as, you know, hey, this is who got the goal. And then it will also animate the cards of those who assisted on it. And I don't know, Pete, uh, to somebody that they could be like big F and whoop. But for me, I actually think this is a really cool update. That's like imagine, you know, especially because either you've traded or used real money for fake money to get a certain card at a certain rating. I mean, I, I'd be interested to see what these what those cards will look like in, in, in a couple of weeks here as the season starts to wind down and different different, you know, uh, specialty packs come out and whatnot. But. There was something that was oddly gratifying about scoring a goal as Wayne Gretzky and then just like a really cool uh, little animation pops up of his card that you use in the game just pops up letting you know that that's that's who scored. And I was Mm. thinking for a moment that actually could be kind of cool to use in in broadcasts. I realized like in, in that moment, like, okay, so let's say when. You know, I think I forget who's it was Pasternak in the Winter Classic. How cool would it have been if NBC, like, you know, either they came up with them early in the season or just for a one-time thing, had like a cool David, like a throwback David Pasternak trading card to animate onto the screen. Because, yes, at that moment, the, the the little score bug is telling you it's a goal and who scored it. But, like, visually, it's kind of hard to tell sometimes because of how quickly the guy gets surrounded in the huddle or, 
you know, then they just cut to the reaction shots of people in the in the stands and stuff. So I thought this was really cool. I, I assume the next time you log on, you can see for yourself and see if you felt the same odd amount of joy. But just so there, it was just a neat little visual flair that I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, that that that's who scored and that's who assisted. And it was nice to have like a neat, you know, because if they're cutting around anyway and not staying on those players all the time, but you still, you know, hey, if I'm sitting at a bar and somebody just scored and I want to just be able to glance up and see, that's actually a really nice, fun visual tool. You got a headshot, you got yeah. a cool name font, what, you know, what that goal did for their season now. So, yeah, I mean, I, I remember, know, it, I think FIFA, I haven't played FIFA in a couple of years, but if I recall correctly, I think FIFA used to do something like that. And the the one thing I really liked that FIFA did that, that I wish NHL had, uh, had done and, and maybe maybe they're going to change this is um when you play against another team in ultimate team uh before the game starts you actually see their lineup but you see what cards they are so obviously like uh like ryan had talked about in our in our interview yeah. Lionel Messi is incredible, but there was a difference between playing a 91 Lionel Messi or a 99 team of the year Lionel Messi. Um, and so I thought it was cool that, you know, in a system that has so many updates and so many upgraded cards, yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but, okay, so the second topic that we we wanted to talk about real quickly is um, – Fun in hockey, hockey having fun, uh, and <laughs> specifically, I I really wanted to talk about the the storm surge, which is the Carolina Hurricanes post game celebration, and I imagine that by now you've seen this. Um, if not, just basically try to find Brian Burke's Twitter because he probably hate tweets all of them because um, <laughs> he hates everything fun. But yes, he does. So basically, after a Carolina Hurricanes home win, all the Hurricane players go into uh, typically center ice. They all do this kind of slow over the head clap thing. And as the season has gone on, then they they do something crazy after. Uh, so uh friday night was one of my favorites they were all in a circle and one of the hurricanes i I forget which i forget who it was was in the middle and they were doing the clap the clap the clap and then basically he stops he puts his puts his stick way up in the air um basically like thor in uh in you know the avengers or thor or whatever and he slams it into the ground like as if he's slamming the hammer into the uh into the ground which as we all know from uh from mythology and movies will create a giant shockwave that blows everybody over and so all the other players fall down after he does it it's it's really fun uh the other one the, the other one that was really fun the other day was um they after the center ice thing, they all skated towards the towards one of the goals and they kind of formed like a like a almost like like a tunnel, like if you were doing like high fives and stuff. And then uh, Andrei Sveshnikov did like a lap around the ice and then got up some speed and then slid into the goal in between all of them. And it's just it's fun and hockey needs to be fun. You know, um, I think we're we're kind of getting closer to having more fun in hockey. Uh, we're starting to see more things like this. And I think that this is, this is great. And um, it, it's kind of weird because if it's like, Oh, I think every team should do this. Well, I mean, they're kind of copying it, but like, I think teams should be more open to doing something like this to get the fans involved, to have fun because it seems to be pretty much universally uh, praised by hockey fans and hockey people who don't just hate everything. I I can't agree with you more. If, and I believe me, I'm I'm trying 
trying, Peter, to agree more, but I just... <laughs> I, I can't. So I, I look forward to what the storm surge is going to bring as the season goes on. I personally would like to uh, see some, um, you know, maybe maybe some reenactments of the burly brawl from the Matrix Revolutions. You know, somebody on their oh, stick yeah. and kicking everybody down, or um, you know, it'd be really funny if they if they could all just do one giant and then just do a chorus line. You know, <laughs> just like lift the knee up mm. and then kick knee up kick just. <laughs> I think I think the possibilities are endless, and maybe I want to. And like you said, I I want to see it not just for their reaction, but for all of the all of the ambulance drivers out there who just don't want to have fun. Yeah, and so Jay, you had one more thing you wanted to talk about, and I mean, to be fair, I, I wanted to talk about this as well, so I don't want to make it sound like I don't care. <laughs> but um, <laughs> no. you know, you, you had mentioned it, so so uh, so so tell us what you're talking about here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, to, to close out, we just wanted to give a shout out to uh, Greg Krupa, who uh, yesterday announced that he's been reassigned. Now, obviously, this is a more direct Detroit-centric uh, news note to pass on to everybody, but uh, he's being assigned to the Metro Desk and being taken off of Red Wings coverage. Um, he did a, a short two-tweet explanation of what's happening, which is sadly what's plaguing all of our news organizations, which is cutbacks, salary cuts, uh, buyouts and the like. And, uh, um, I, I certainly will miss his magnificent beard. Um, not, not just the words that, um, he's done cause, uh, the, the, he had, he, he had a very unique, uh, way about, uh, saying the, the things that everybody knew, but, uh, didn't know quite how to say it. And, um, the one example I will give, which, at first, I was a little confused by it, but I but I, I was like, oh, okay, I see what he's doing there. So it was a couple games ago, and uh, Cronwall had a uh, a, a Cronwalling of old, as <laughs> it were, a, a flashback to the Cronwalls of of, of years past. And um, Krupa quote tweeted a video of it and basically laid out the rule as it pertains to heads being the primary point of contact. And for a moment, I was like, "Wow, ah, geez, like, come on, Croops, like, what are you doing? But then I was like, you know what? No, that needed to be clarified because it was clearly a gray area centric hit. And it makes sense to in the moment while you want to enjoy hits like that. We are still living in a hyper aware era of what these types of hits can do to players. So in the moment, you're like, wow, that was a cool hit. But it was actually very necessary for Krupa to be like, hey, uh, by the way, <laughs> this is the type of hit that needs to either stop or be clarified. So uh, that was the type of attention to detail and in the moment uh, decision to to say something that, that Krupa uh, excelled at. So um, he said he's still going to uh, quote tweet game or uh, live tweet games and, and do analysis and stuff. But as far as it pertains to uh, his physical actual position. Um, he is not going to be covering the wings anymore. So yes. uh, it's, uh, it's sad, but um, you know, again, he's not, he's not really gone, gone, but it's just not going to be in the same ways as it was before. And that's uh, it's a shame. So um, I wish him the best of luck. Uh, Pete, would you yeah. uh, take over and yeah, say I mean, your piece as it were? Yeah. I mean, you, you pretty much, you pretty much said everything I wanted to say. Um 
He's definitely somebody who, uh, who who is very interesting to read. I, I for one, will miss his um, his E.E. E. Cummings or Cormac McCarthy style uh, approach yeah. to punctuation. <laughs> um, yes, where it's like his his, his paragraphs, re- his tweets read like haiku sometimes. Uh, yeah, and it's like so yeah, much it's... so much depends upon the little red wing. You know? And it's just yeah, like it's... It, it's and 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 it's it's funny because like. I know it sounds like I'm making fun of him and part of, part of me is in that way that you make fun of somebody you like, you know, like, like you kind of poke fun yeah. at your friends, like certainly not a mean spirited way. Um, like for, for me, it's kind of one of those quirks that makes me find him interesting, uh, more interesting. And I know, um, you know, I know that he's, he's one of the, one of, if not the, the only like regular Red Wings beat writers that, you know, will really interact with the fans. Um, and so I, I really like that about him. All right. So that brings us to the end of another episode. So 39. So next episode is 40. Oh my God. 40. Oh man. It's our, I didn't even know we were doing our Hashik episode today. It, it, yeah. It's, it's like the podcast is going to have to buy a sports car and, uh, yeah. you know, really, really try to really try to do something about this, uh, th- this, this bald spot that's, uh, that, that seems yep. to be appearing. Um, yeah. But anyway, so yeah, yeah. so f- wow, 40 episodes. Uh, that's, that, that's pretty incredible. Um, so but just before we wrap up, uh, the reason that we've been able to do this is because of our listeners. So, so thank you very much for listening. Thank you for participating. Uh, you know, thank you for sending in questions and leaving comments, etc. cetera. Um, so Wrapping up, uh, if you want to follow us on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at P Flynn Hockey. You can follow Jay at the Roar underscore 24. You can follow the podcast at 200 Foot Pod. That's 200 FTPOD. You can follow our guest today, Ryan Simpson. You could follow, follow him at RK underscore Stimp, S T I M P. And, um, like I said, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we'll be back at you in two weeks with another episode. For sure. 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 For sure.